Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Good morning. Romans chapter 5. We're about almost a third of the way there, all right? So, um, I would say Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11, our text today, this is one of the sweetest spots of Scripture. Uh, We see the profound, amazing, mind-blowing, life-changing love of God for each of us in Christ. Um, In fact, out of everything that's said in Romans, I would say that this is my favorite next to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is even better, I think. I mean, it's all good. It's God's Word, but in terms of my own personal favorite, because we see the love of God shine so clearly in this text, we really get to the heart of what Paul's been trying to tell us uh, all the way up to this point. So, as we begin, by the way, if you're a guest, a visitor, you're with us for the first time, or maybe just re-engaging worship um, after the pandemic, uh, we have these uh, Romans journals. They're out there in the narthex by the mailboxes if you want to Grab one and join in with us in this journey. If you're just here for today, then um, go ahead and just use a pew Bible, page 942. What I want us to do first is I want you to underline these words in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Those are important words because those words are telling us where we've been and where we're going. And you might want to just go ahead and draw an arrow to the left of that sentence, pointing you back to chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, because what Paul's been doing in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 is showing us, first of all, that we need to be justified or declared not guilty before God, and then second, he's showing us how we're justified through faith in Christ. Everything Paul has said, especially in chapters 3 and 4, has brought us up to this point, but what do we do with that, right? How does this apply to our lives? If you draw an arrow to the right, pointing you to the rest of chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, the rest of Romans is going to answer the question, what do we do with this? Why does this matter? How do I apply this to my life that God has justified me through faith? Another way that we could think about where we've been in Romans and where we're going in Romans is like a hike. Romans is kind of like a hike and so, um, you know, when I used to live in Connecticut, there's a lot more places to hike in Connecticut than Nebraska. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of cornfields in Nebraska, but uh, there's like hundreds and hundreds of miles of hiking space trails in Connecticut. And so, um, usually before I'd hike, I'd stand out in the parking lot or the, the trailhead and look at the map. Where are we going to go? And that's kind of what Paul does in chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Remember the thesis statement back at the beginning? Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed for faith, from faith for faith. Uh, for the righteous shall live by faith. That was Paul's kind of map. He was saying, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do in this letter. Now, as we enter into chapter 1, verse 18, all the way down through chapter 3, verse 20, we entered into this kind of deep, dark valley in the hike. We went downward 
into the darkness, the reality of our own sin and depravity, right? We saw that nobody's righteous, not one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we would stand under the wrath and the condemnation of God's justice were not God to intervene. But in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul begins to take us up the mountain. He's showing us the gospel, not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us to rescue us by sending His Son to die for us. And so really, as we've gone through being justified by faith, we saw the example of Abraham in chapter 4. Now, in chapter 5, verse 1, with these words, we're kind of like standing on a summit. We're, we're able to see a whole vast, beautiful, open path below us that we never even knew existed. Now we're looking at new possibilities, right? Life is different. We have a new status before God because we've been declared in a right relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it's very much like just looking out at this, oh, at this vista of just beautiful landscape before us. And that's what the rest of Romans is all about. And we begin that journey today. Now, as we read the text here in just a moment, I want you to pay attention for one word in particular. It's a very important word. It's a word that Paul's been describing, he's been talking about uh, in the previous chapters. It's a word that's really driving everything that's happened in Romans. It's motivating what God has done for us in Christ, but it's a word we haven't actually heard at all since chapter 1, verse 7. In chapter 1, verse 7, as Paul opens the letter, he says, to those in Rome who are loved by God. But Paul hasn't used that word love all the way up until today. Love has been what Paul's been describing, that God would, in great love, give His Son for us and redeem us by faith, but today he's going to get into that word, the heart and the center of that word. So look for the word love, and when you see the word love twice, I want you to give it a good, good underline or a good circle around it because we're going to use that word today to understand what else Paul's doing. Sound good? Let's go. Chapter 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's God's word for us today. 
So I want to focus on that word love first because love is the driving force uh, in what Paul's up to in Romans. Uh, so specifically look at verse 8, that God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Once again, Paul hasn't used this word really uh, yet in Romans except for chapter 1 verse 7 as he addresses the Romans as those loved by God, but love has been what's Uh, what Paul's been proclaiming. What is it that motivated God to send His Son? It was love, right? What was it that uh, motivated Jesus to go to the cross to offer Himself up for our sins? It was love. What motivated God to justify us not by our works but rather through faith? Once again, it was love. In fact, what even motivated God to show us the reality of our sin? It was love because He's showing us the Savior. It's been love, love, love all the way through. Now, I want you to see three things about this love. This love of God in Christ is so, it's just mind-blown, right? We could just spend a lot of time talking about the depths of this love. It's really the purpose of every sermon, right, is to say, since Christ loves us, how do we apply this? How do we live in this, this love? But today, I just want you to see three things. I want you to see very briefly that this love is surprising, it's sacrificial, and it has its source in God. This love of God is surprising because it's not shown to worthy, righteous people. It's shown to weak people. Paul says that it's shown to people who are weak, sinners, ungodly, even enemies. That's the way he describes our situation. He says, that's for whom the love of Christ is shown. I mean, people who are not willing to give God anything, God gives everything. I mean, think about that. This love is surprising. Uh, The next thing about this love is that it's sacrificial, and what we mean by that is that it costs something. Uh, We typically use the word love in English as kind of a bland, kind of fluffy word, you know, like love is a feeling, like like that, but here what we're saying is that love is, is this deep attachment this deep commitment, this deep, unbreakable covenant faithfulness that God shows to us in Christ. You know, I, I think we really like stories of sacrifice. In fact, they, if there's, whether it's a story on the news or it's a book we read or it's a movie, we really are kind of drawn to these stories of sacrifice, right? Um, whether it's, you know, the, the soldier taking the grenade for his platoon or it's like, you know, Elsa taking the, the sword, stepping in front of the sword of Prince Hans to save her sister in the movie Frozen. Uh, whatever the movie or the story is, we really like those stories of self-sacrifice. And we kind of ask ourselves, wow, would, would I be brave enough to do that? Would I sacrifice in that way? Now, what makes this love so surprising is the deep nature of its sacrifice that Christ has shown us. In all these movies and stories, it's typically a person who is considered good giving themselves in sacrifice for somebody else who's considered good. Someone is giving their lives for someone they love or value or cherish because that person is going to be able to give them something in return. But the surprising thing about this sacrificial nature of God's love is that God gives His Son for those 
who don't even acknowledge his existence. Isn't that amazing? To enemies. You see, what we find hard to do for a good person, God does willingly for sinners. That's the mind-blowing, sacrificial nature of the gospel. There's really nothing in the world like it. The third thing to know about this love is that it has its source in God. And what I mean by that is that it's not like God looks out and says, who, who, who out there is going to appreciate this gift, right? Um, no, God looks out in the world and nobody appreciates or loves God. And, and so God gives his love. He shows his love, not because of loving things we've done, but because of love in his own heart, meaning that this is an act of pure grace, None of us can can look at the cross and say, God did that for me because. The only thing that we could offer God as humanity was our sin and our rejection of God and, and, and falling short of the glory of God. And yet, God says, for these I will send my son. And Jesus says, for these I will die and suffer that they might be made lovely. Really, I don't think the word love is a great word to describe what we're describing, right? Um, I mean, you can love pizza and love your dog, and then we can talk about the love of God. It's not the same thing, right? Um, Much deeper thing that we're talking about here. So let me just kind of illustrate for you what we're talking about. Go back to to chapter 1, way down into the deep, dark valley of chapter 1, and look with me at verse 29. What do we mean when we say that God shows His love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us? What do we mean by that word sinner? That word can become kind of bland and meaningless, right? But what does it mean? Look at verse 29. Think of it this way. While you and me were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, maliceness, while you and I were full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness, while you and I were gossips and slanderers and haters of God and insolent and haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, while we were those things without apology, without any desire to change or be different, Christ died for us. Do you see that the weight here, the, the depth of God's love is that this is for whom Christ dies. I mean, there's really no category to even describe what's going on here, right? In fact, I would say that this is the reason that I'm a Christian. Um, if you were to ask me, Pastor John, why are you a Christian? The first answer I'd give you is because the Holy Spirit, right? Um, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ or come to Him, we say in the Catechism, but the Holy Spirit called me. All the credit and all the glory goes to the Holy Spirit. I didn't choose to be a Christian. God just showed up in my life and, hey, I'm a Christian now. <laughs> right? That's the way it works with us as Christians is that God brings us to faith. He gets all the glory for it. Uh, but if you want to talk to me about, like, let me explain to you why Christianity makes sense. This is what I'd tell you. I could tell you, well, there's really strong historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, and the New Testament is a very reliable document historically. I could talk to you about all the apologetics reasons of 
you know, why science doesn't even make sense apart from a God who created and orders all things. I could talk to you about, you know, why morals and right and wrong and human rights and dignity don't even make sense apart from God. And the highest expression of human rights and dignity comes through Christ. We could talk about all those things, and those are all, I guess, reasons. They make sense to me. But the reason is because there's such a thing as this kind of love that I could never invent or come up with or ask for or imagine. And when you taste that love and you understand that love and you begin to even grasp it, it, it even kind of goes beyond your intellect and into your heart and you say, hands up, I surrender. <laughs> this is the real deal. Um, you will not find this kind of love in any other religion or philosophy or, or belief in the world because every, every other religion says, you perform, you do the good works, and you get the reward. The Christian faith is saying something fundamentally different. It's saying that we've made all the mistakes, and God gives us His love in Christ and redeems and reconciles us. That's different, right? And so when people say, all religions basically teach the same thing, no. If we thought about that more, we wouldn't say that, right? Because no other religion is proclaiming what the Christian faith is proclaiming. That's the reason why I believe it, among many other reasons, but that's the main one. Now, this unique, surprising, sacrificial love of God shown to us in Christ is not weak or ineffectual in us. In fact, it actually creates something. It creates in us three things, and I think you know these words well, uh, faith, hope, love. Um, we see those words in this text, and I want you to see how God's love creates these things in us. The first thing I want to show you is faith. God's love creates faith in our hearts. You see, faith isn't something that we say, I've decided to have faith. No, just like we talked about a few weeks ago, just like a, the loving, constant care of a parent creates trust in a child's heart, so also the loving, constant care for us that God shows us in Christ creates faith in us. It, it nurtures and brings about this attachment to God, which is faith, trust in His promises. It means that we experience God as reliable, especially through what He's done in Christ, and we lean our lives on Him. So, what's helpful to do is if you, if you circled the word love in verse 8, His love, verse 8, that's the center of this text, the center of the gospel, it'd be helpful to draw an arrow upward toward the word faith in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have obtained access by faith. I want you to see that it's the love of God flowing out towards us that creates faith. The second thing that this love of God creates in us is hope. Now, we see that word hope first in verse 2. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace or favor of God in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, one of the amazing things going on in Romans is that everything that uh, we have ruined through our sin, the gospel gives back even better. Everything that Paul has torn down in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, he's going to give back to us through the gospel. And you see an example of that here. 
with that word rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Do you remember in chapter 1 how Paul said that the nature of our sin is that we have exchanged the glory of God for idols, meaning that we have preferred to worship idols and worship created things rather than God? Do you remember that? Do you remember in uh, chapter 3, verse 23, where it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And now here on the other side of the cross, on the other side of faith in Christ, we get this beautiful statement that now, because of Christ, we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, meaning we're not hiding from God's glory, we're rejoicing in it and looking forward to it, all because of the love of God that creates hope. Next place that we see this word hope, and by the way, if you see these words, underline them or circle them, um, is in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Let's go ahead and just uh, read this text together. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. It's in the very place that we might lose hope, our sufferings, that God is actually at work in the heart of a Christian creating hope and endurance and character. And sometimes when we experience just really difficult, painful setbacks in life, the kind of things that we would just never imagine happening to ourselves or others, when we experience those things, it may cause us to lose hope or become discouraged or maybe even question the goodness of God and His purposes for our life. You might be in a season of suffering like that, or maybe you've been in one, and in that season of suffering, you, you might have said something like this, if God really loved me, then. If God really loved me, then I wouldn't have gotten cancer. If God really loved me, then my spouse wouldn't have died. If God really loved me, that relationship would have worked out. If God really loved me, then my marriage wouldn't have fallen apart. If God really loved me, I wouldn't be so depressed. If God really loved me, I wouldn't have lost my job and I wouldn't be in financial ruin. Have you ever thought that or, or said that? If God really loved me then, We've been thinking about the example of Abraham, right? Past couple weeks, chapter 4, Abraham is the man of faith. He's the faith guy, right? He's an example for us of how we are justified by grace through faith and the promises of God. And yet, if you were to go through Abraham's life, if you want to, you can read Genesis 12 through 25. That's the whole Abraham story. If you were to read that, you would see that Abraham suffered a lot of setbacks and much of what he experienced in his life actually contradicted the promise God spoke to him. So, for example, God calls Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going to go to this new land, the land of Canaan. I'm going to give it to your descendants. And Abraham makes the journey all the way there and gets there, and he's like, there's all these other people living here, and they're not very friendly. And not only that, there's a famine in the land in chapter 13, right after God promised it, and they have to go all the way to Egypt. And when they're in Egypt, uh, 
Pharaoh tries to steal Abraham's wife, and then they finally get that worked out, and they go back into the promised land, and there's this big war that breaks out, and, you know, uh, Abraham's nephew Lot is captured, and he has to go bail him out, and then you get to chapter 15, and Abraham still doesn't have this son that God promised him, and just time after time after time, it just seems like the promise is being contradicted by everything that happens. I mean, Imagine, you know, that you felt it was God's will for you to move someplace and you get there and like everything just goes upside down, right? That's multiply times 100 with Abraham. And, you know, I think it'd be really easy for Abraham to say, if God really loved me, then this would be a lot easier. And yet what we see happening is that in the midst of those setbacks and those sufferings and those disappointments that God is actually underneath all of that working hope and endurance and character. There's this deeper work going on. And so last week we heard about Abraham and his sufferings. It says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And it's the same thing for you and me as those in Christ. We don't want to make light or just kind of gloss over the real pain and disappointment we feel in life. I mean, there's a whole language for this in the Psalms of expressing lament and sadness and frustration and fear before God, but yet also we are called to grow um, even more confident in the midst of these things, these sufferings. And this isn't just good vibes, it isn't just you know, like positive thinking, it rests upon the deeper reality of the unchanging, unbreakable love of God for you in Christ. You see, Paul talks about hope, and then he goes on to talk about the love of God, because the love of God is the steady, stable foundation underneath which our hope rests. And so, the love of God shown for you in Christ takes the if out of our sufferings and replaces it with a sense. If you look at your circumstances, if you look at your life and your struggles, you're going to probably end up doubting God's love. It's not a good place to find your assurance, but when we look at the cross of Christ, God has spoken with finality that we are perfectly and completely loved without a doubt. And so we're able to approach sufferings and say, you know, since God really does love me in Christ, I know that He'll be with me in cancer, and even if I lose my life, Christ still holds on to me. Since God really does love me in Christ, even if I lose that loved one, that loved one is held by Christ, and I am held by Christ. Even if I am in the darkness and the depths of depression and anxiety, since Christ has loved me, I will not be forsaken in that. He will be with me through it and see me to the other end. Since God has really loved me in Christ, even though I've lost that opportunity or that money or that success, I'm rich in Christ. Once again, this doesn't cause us just to say, I'm okay, everything's okay when we're suffering. That's an unhealthy way to deal with suffering. But we're able to look beyond it and see that God has spoken with finality in Christ. We are loved and He will not let go of us. In fact, He's working endurance, character, 
patience, just as he did with Abraham. And so, go ahead and draw a line, an arrow from his love in verse 8, and draw it out towards those three times you see the word hope in verse 2, 4, and 5, because I want you to see once again that it is the love of God that creates hope in us. And this hope is not a shaky thing. It's confident. You see, once again, I said before that the word love is kind of a bland word. In the same way, the word hope in English is kind of a bland word because we say things like, I hope the Huskers have a good season. Or we say things like, I hope that we don't have school tomorrow. Like when I was a kid, this is the way I experienced the word hope. Say you got a really big test the next day and you're like, I haven't studied much for this, but there's snow in the forecast and you might begin to have hope like, Maybe there just won't be school tomorrow. And so you stay up kind of late and you don't do your homework because you know, hey, it's going to be no school tomorrow, but maybe not, right? You're not sure. And so you get up early and your hope is put to shame as you don't see the name of your school on the news, right? That's different than the hope you have when you're, you're... you're in eager anticipation because there's going to be no school tomorrow because today is the last day of school. It's not like you're going to wake up and you're going to have an extra day of school. No, tomorrow is the, is, there's no school because today is the last day of school. That's what we mean by Christian hope is we know it's going to happen. We're eager for it. We're waiting for it with anticipation. There's no doubt about it. That's what we mean by hope. And that hope is based not on our feelings or anything like that. It's based on the solid, strong love of Jesus Christ. The last thing that the love of God creates in us is love. Might sound a little redundant, right? Love creates love, but here's what I mean. Is that the love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ flows into us and it becomes something we experience and we're able to give back to God and give to other people. Um, This is what it says in Romans 5, 5 through 6, that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. And then Paul goes on and he talks about what that love actually is. And I think the, the point that Paul's making here is that the very same love that caused the Father to send the Son is the very same love that caused the Son to walk to the cross, the very same love that caused Jesus to say, yes, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is the same love that caused him to say, God, be merciful, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The same love that caused Jesus to give everything for you is the same love that has now been poured out into your heart and my heart and into the heart of every Christian. Do you see it? That same love. It's the same love. That's why we are given this command so often to love one another as God first loved us. Love is at the center of Christian community, even when we're kind of difficult to love sometimes, God says, no, we love one another because the same love that sacrificed for us is now at work in our hearts. So if you have His love circled in verse 8, you can draw a little arrow up to God's love poured out into our hearts in verse 5 because, once again, that same love that Christ showed us is the same love we experience and know. And that love really does change everything. In conclusion, I, maybe you've heard the quote, you've seen the quote before that hurt people, what? Hurt people, hurt people, right? Meaning that the, when we 
harm ourselves and hurt ourselves through our sin or the sin of others hurts and harms us, then, then we end up sometimes going on to just hurt people the way we've been hurt. But if hurt people hurt people, isn't it true even more that loved people love people? And isn't it true that you're loved in Christ eternally, treasured by Him, loved by Him, which gives us the strength we need to love others around us, even when that might be kind of difficult? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we meditate and we think upon today this love of God in Christ that is at the center of our faith and our hope and our love for one another. And Lord, we just have to be honest with you, admit that we don't even know what we're talking about, Lord. We, we have not even the ability to even scratch the surface or understand what it means that you love us. But would you please give us your Holy Spirit and pour out that love anew and afresh in us today as we come to the Lord's Supper here shortly so that we can learn to love one another and love you in return. In Jesus' name, amen.